I had, you, you know this, but I'm just going to repeat it for the sake of broader context. I felt the Lord moved me to put some stuff out on Facebook. I don't know, it's probably more than a month ago now. And there was a word I needed to, to express what I felt like the Lord was showing me to express, but I couldn't think of it for the life of me. I mean, I asked God to show it to me. What is the word, Lord? I couldn't find it. So I put out there what I thought he wanted me to say and left it at that. And then a week or so later, when I was praying, I might have been praying about those things. I can't remember if I asked the Lord again or if he just showed me. And he showed me the word that I couldn't collect in my thinking was the word transcends or transcend or transcendence. And... um in that context, just all of a sudden, I'm just like I just opened up a piece of electronic paper, and and my fingers started typing. I just having all these thoughts, and I'm like, wow. And then they stopped, because a butterfly flew by. I'm sure a little blue fish maybe. But even even me, if God wants my attention to last until He's done, He could even get me to pay attention until He's finished with what He wants me to do. So then I got this thing, but I'm not sure is he speaking to me because I already agree with everything that, you know, I wrote down on my little electronic piece of paper. So on a Thursday morning, I asked the Bible study people. I say, hey, I, I don't know if I read the thing to them or but gave them a gist of what it was. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. And they said, it's a, it's a message. You know, it needs to be a message for the church. So last week, I started it. Because it's, it's, it's two perspectives that we have to see. It's one perspective and it manifests in two different places. Last week I talked about that perspective and, and how it manifests in the church. And I, I said things like, you know, when the church gets to thinking like a teenager, you know. Caleb, you so far past this you don't even remember. But when, when, when a teenager gets to start to be not just a little kid anymore, they start to think for themselves. And the first thing they do is they think against their parents because they got to be their own person. And the only person they've been is who their parents told them to be. So they have this little rebellious thing that goes on. I see the teenager parents chuckling a little bit until they get a little bit older and they get a little bit wiser and dumb parents all of a sudden become smart parents, but the parents' attitude never changed. It's just that the, the, the child grows up. So the same is true with us and, and with the Scriptures when we read the scriptures and then we experience life and we see this and we see that and all of a sudden we think, you know, I'm going to have just a little bit of my own mind, it's a very dangerous first step towards walking away from that which is true and that which transcends. So last week we talked about the implications of that and, and what it really means to be the church with regard to transcendence. This week we're going to talk about the same concept, only not... From I'll certainly salt in the church's perspective because they're parallel. But the perspective of being a citizen of a particular nation, the United States of America, and, and what, what that means to all the goofy, crazy stuff that's going on in our nation right now. So last week I started with the definition of truth, which is really interesting. Everybody thinks we know what truth means. If I ask you to define it, you might struggle. And it always bugs me when, when a definition includes the thing you're defining, right? So truth is the quality or state of being true. That seems absolutely obvious, but it just wasn't, I couldn't articulate it myself. But that's what the dictionary said. So 
when we talk about truth, it's important that we understand that anything can't be true. Everything can't be true. Only that which is true is true. And if we depart from truth as as a foundational principle, as a transcendent thing, then, like, we're trying to climb an air ladder. You've got nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to support you. Truth is that which is true. There, there's a, um, a thing that's been taught for a long, long, long time. I think it was, it was born in the fall, and that is a, a concept called relative truth. That what might be true for me in a situation might be false for you. And that ultimately, truth really boils down to what I think is true and what you think is true. So you can have your truth, and I'll have my truth. And somehow we're going to be able to live together and um, cooperate together somehow in in a communal kind of fashion, not a communist kind of fashion, but somehow truth can be whatever it wants, and there'll be order in our lives. The I looked up um, the term relativism, and I got this from the Internet that I thought painted a pretty good picture. To be a relativist means that a belief, idea, proposition, claim, etc. is never true or false, good or bad, or right or wrong. Absolutely. According to the relativist, there is no absolute or objective truth. Truth is relative and subjective. For example, a relativist can't consistently claim that 2 plus 2 equals 4 because the answer 4 is neither right nor wrong. It just depends. Your math teacher likes 4, but you like 6. So for you, the answer is 6. Well, that's just nutty. It doesn't make any sense at all, except for when you take it out of the realm of the obvious nutty and put it into the realm of the fleshly nutty. Like, right, where I have to decide what's good for me, and you don't have to like it if you don't want well, but if you don't like it just right, I might, you know, spray paint your house. Right. All kind of kooky starts. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. So then I, I looked up the word transcend, and, and there's a number of different ways that you could use it, but in the way that the Lord was speaking to me was this particular definition. And it's not mine, it's, it's you know, Bible or dictionary.com, excuse me, or somebody like that. To transcend is to, to be prior to, beyond, and above the universe or material existence. See, that's how we see God. God transcends all of nature. He created all of nature. It's his idea. He's not bound in it. He's above it. He transcends it. And, and as God transcends all of existence, all of creation, all of everything, his word is his representation of himself in his ideas and his will and his expectations. His word is that to mankind. So we have this which transcends us, if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you can just whatever. You've made no confession of lordship to Christ. You've never said anything about asking God for life And then he would say, okay, you give me life, I'll give you life. You haven't done that. So you can have whatever transcendent value in your, your, you know, universalist. You can pray to the universe. You can pray to the trees. You can pray to the rocks. You can do whatever you want. But for a Christian, this transcends everything. So 
then this is still review from last week, but it matters a lot to this week. Then the question I, I ask next is, why are transcendent values necessary? Well, I had four things that I put down. There's probably 400, but the four that I thought to put down were transcendent values define and set expectations. They, ex they establish clear expectations, and clear expectations provide comfort. And I use the example of a little kid. A little kid rebels against authority. You've got to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. You've got to go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. I want to eat a Snickers bar. No, you've got to eat your green beans. I don't want to eat my green beans. I want candy, right? But all the experts say that children thrive with structure. So, so when, when the parent and, and their superior understanding of what's best for the child is put in place with structure, that the child actually finds comfort in that, not discomfort. The same is true with us. The Bible gives us that structure that we need for our lives. It teaches us how to interact with each other. So we don't have to wonder, at least within the church, we shouldn't have to wonder, how we're going to interact with each other. So I can come and see you, and I can be comfortable that your first thing isn't going to be to shoot me, right? Because we both have agreed to the same transcendent values to govern our lives. The third thing that transcendent transcendent values do is they provide authority they're the authority so so when the church gets to thinking that that the authority of the scripture is less than the authority of their personal beliefs they cease to be the church right because the church is defined by the structure and the truths that are given to us in the scriptures there's a word again i can't think of guaranteed when i get home i'll think of it enumerated, but that's not the word. The scriptures do it. The, the minute that the scriptures cease to be that which governs us, provides us our authority, then we're not church anymore. We can be the church of this is what I think. That's no problem. Build a building. Put a cross in front of it if you want to. But you're not the church of God, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you choose not to adhere to what he says. And because of all that, transcendent values... Of, cause us to avoid chaos because they tell us what to do they tell us how to do it they they give us instruction on how to interact with each other they teach us what's right they teach us what's wrong and we surrender our opinions and our attitudes and our emotions and all that stuff to what is transcendent because we've agreed to it this is transcendent and, and that then avoids chaos because we can live in a structure that's livable I don't, I don't think this statement is actually true, but I know exactly how it could appear to be true. Why is there chaos in the church? Well, I, I think there isn't chaos in the church. Because I think the only thing that's church is the, is the thing that would be obedient to God and according to his word. That's church. You put a cross in your front yard, you call yourself a church, you call yourself a Christian, then you go off and espouse. Maybe that was the word I was looking for. Yeah. Put the bluefish back. You, you just go off and espouse your own attitudes. Well, you know, we're woke. We've evolved. We have progressed with the culture. It's like, that's cool. Whatever you want to govern yourself, your beliefs, your thoughts, to draw people into your meetings, but you're not the church anymore. So where this is transcendent, and it's, it's recognized and it's obeyed, not necessarily perfectly, right, because everybody needs a little help sometimes, but where this is that, that's church. So the church isn't in chaos, 
But there's chaos within what people would think would be the church because the church has decided to be a teenager and have a little mind of its... No, no offense, sweetie. <laughs> you can't help but go through that process. Just remember, you seem like you're not all the way there yet because you just respect your parents so well. You don't want to be grounded till you're 25. Huh? You choose life? Good girl, that's right. And, and in there is the power of life. Right, right. But just in, just in case your hormones get you to the place where you think you've got an attitude and an opinion, it'll change. Well, that's because you do. You just don't recognize that. She's right. You're always wrong, just so you know. Spoken like a true father. The point is you're going to get to be a little older, and all of a sudden they'll get smart again. So, so when, when the church thinks it's smarter than God, it ceases to be the church when it's not submitted anymore. What, what we would call that circumstance happening in, in you know, what the church would call itself progressive is, is the entrance of arrogance and pride. And it happened in the garden when Adam and Eve ate the, the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They all of a sudden became like God. And one of the things that God does is he defines good and evil. So when people chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they started to see themselves as God. People, us, without Jesus, us, no different. And, and decided that they would define good and evil. But now, now there's no transcendence but me. I'm what transcends everything. And, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but, but if you disagree with me, then, then we can't have relationships, we can't have order, we can only have chaos because we only agree with what we think. If you do agree with me, then we can go arm in arm and demand other people agree with us. But see, you can't be church like that. And you can't really have society like that. I made this note this morning, and I just thought, I, I think I've said it, but I'll just read it, because I want to put it word for word. The progressive church is not the church. They're a cult, a social organization, but without adherence to the scriptures, they cannot be the body of the Lord, the church. Amen. Okay. So the situation in our nation is no different than the situation in the church. The scriptures transcend the church. The scriptures represent God. Remember last week, the pastor is not the authority in the church. The pastor only exercises the authority that are in the scriptures. He's, his job is to uphold the truth and to hold the people, each other really's job, to hold each other accountable to the truth. There, there is a transcendence in America. If I asked you, like, who's in charge of America, you might say the president. But you say, well, hang on a minute, because he's kind of checked by, by the uh, legislative branch of our government, right? The, the House of Representatives and the Senate. You say, but, ah, but wait a minute, maybe it's the judiciary, because they break all the ties, right? But they have no authority. The, the President of the United States has no inherent authority. The Congress has no inherent authority. And the judiciary has no inherent authority. Because what transcends every person in the United States of America is the Constitution. The authority that the president has is given to him by the people 
according to the Constitution. The authority to make laws, establish budgets, is in the Congress because it's given to them through the Constitution by the people. The power and the authority that's in the judicial branch of our country is given to them by the people through what's enumerated. I think that was the word, enumerated in the Constitution. So like the church has the Bible, the United States of America has its Constitution. I'm going to read to you just when my fingers started typing. I I tried to look at this and figure out how do I say this, and I just decided I'll just read it to you. So on that morning when the Lord gave me transcendence and he started speaking to me, um, I think, this, this is what came off my fingers. How is it possible for a society or a community to exist without transcendent values? Like, how do you not have chaos without transcendent values? Transcendence is why trust in the Lord with all your heart can guide me because I trust and believe his, his, God's wisdom, transcends my own. When mine and his depart, I follow his. That's a decision. Sometimes it's hard because your emotions get tangled up with all of that stuff, and, and then the devil uses fear and anxiety and all kinds of things to try to get us not to trust in the Lord with all our heart. Continuing. The transcendence... More properly, our acceptance of the transcendence of the U.S. Constitution is what has held our country together all these many years. This country will come apart at the seams without understanding that transcends is above every individual's idea of what is true or false, right or wrong. Our nation was founded on our Constitution. It is our foundation. It is both above us and below us. Above us in its transcendence transcendence, and below us as what carries the weight of our nation, as the foundation of our nation. When we get to be like citizen teenagers and think that we get to have an opinion, right? The Constitution is so well written that it has provision for when we have an opinion. It can be amended. It can, be, it can be changed and updated, but it understands its own excellence and its own transcendence that it's not easy to cause that to happen, right? So now we live in a country where we're all, not all of us, many, many, many of us are teenagers. And, and we want to just say that, you know, what I think matters more than anything else. I transcend the Constitution. I transcend Scripture. I transcend God. I'm in charge. I shall define good and evil because I am like God. I am a little God of my own. Christianity works when we agree to hold fast to biblical teaching and values. If not, we have chaos. The exact same is true for our country. And I read for you last week. I'll read it for you again this week. Jesus says in Matthew twelve twenty five, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. As soon as we start to divide from that which transcends, we're done. We have people who are in places of authority. I was thinking about this. You know, in law enforcement, there's one particular 
title, I guess, that seems to be standing up for the Constitution. It's not the, I don't know what you'd call them, like the general of the state police. It's not the, the police chief in a city. It's the sheriff. And I was thinking about that this morning. Like, How is it that sheriffs are different than the police chief or the state police guy? Right? How is it that they're different? And all of a sudden the thought came to me, they're the only one that's elected. This police chief is, is put in there by the mayor or somebody, right? The head of the state police is put in there by the governor or somebody. Not, not directly by the people, but the sheriff is put in place directly by the people. So when the sheriff says, I will not enforce this, this is not constitutional, that sheriff, he or she, is actually responding to the oath that they probably took to get into the office because the people put them there. Not the person put them there. Any house divided against itself cannot stand. Any kingdom, any house, any country, any anything. Let me just read to you um, from the Declaration of Independence. I don't read the whole thing. It starts off, The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. Nature has a God. Nature is not omniscient, omnipotent. You don't worship nature or the universe. Nature has a God. We know him. Sorry, that was a little departure from what's actually written. Amen. The laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now listen to this. Gosh, I feel like I'm going to cry. Somebody might have to come and read for me. For we hold these truths. Why? Because they come from the Creator of nature, of everything. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed See, within our nation, we understand that there are inalienable rights, that there are certain things that are beyond anybody's attitude, anybody's opinion, because it wasn't man that made those things. It was the Creator that declared those things. And the government is put in place so that those things are not abridged to the governed. The government is not put in place to impose its will. It has no authority of its own. Amen. Amen. So if you aspire to be president of the United United States, if you if you want to be, you know, Donald Trump or whomever, you want to be president, in order to be president, you have to swear an oath. You know, when you became a Christian, you sort of spoke an oath. Your oath was that you would repent from anything that wasn't of God. 
that you would repent of those things. You would turn away from those. You would not be your own God, that you would serve God absolutely. And Jesus said, if you want to have life, you have to give up your life. You said that you would trust in Jesus as your Savior, as the one who would actually give you life. He said, if you will deny that life, I will give you this life. If you want to be president of the United States, here's what you have to say. I solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Not the attitudes of the people. Like, oh, but they all like this, and if I want to be president, I better agree with that. No, 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 no. If you want to be president, you protect and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. You know who else swore that vow? Caleb Green. When they said, hey, listen, if you want to help defend this nation, I'll put a gun in your hand, but you better understand that you defend the Constitution of the United States of America and not your own attitude and opinions. Stop right there. You want to do your own, guess what? Court-martial, right? That's no fun. You don't want part of that. You, you weren't stupid like you didn't understand. You understood exactly what you're saying. They made sure you understood, I bet. And then they took ownership of your life. <laughs> you signed the paper. You didn't see the fine print. So maybe you want to be um, in the Congress. You want to be in the House of Representatives or you want to be a senator. In order to do that, here's what you say. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now hear this. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Heck, half of them are the domestic enemies of the Constitution of the United States. Honestly, we should just let them go home. You're on vacation, full pay, full benefits. Don't come back until we call you. Eh, That might not have been God. Okay. Foreign and domestic, that I will bear true... Oops, <laughs> I burped right into the recording. Sorry. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, that I will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help me, God. So that's cool if you want to be president or... That's cool if you want to be in the Senate or the House of Representatives. What if you just want to be an American? Maybe you just want to get on a boat and come over here and be American, right? Well, hey, how about this? You just come and you bring your culture and you bring your laws and you bring your attitudes and you bring your perspectives. You bring your opinion. And we'll all just be good in this mush soup of everybody gets to have their own opinion about the United States of America. If we were playing Jeopardy, guess what we'd say? No, no, you can't be an American with that attitude. If you want to be an American citizen, here's what you say. I hereby declare on oath, listen to this, that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of which, or excuse me, of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen that I will, ready, support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. There's a constant thread that goes through all of this stuff, that if we don't remember what transcends our nation, you know, 
I graduated high school in 1977. I don't think after elementary school I had a civics class. See, there was already a move, a secret little sneaky move, deceptive move that was going on to be sure that I was ignorant of my citizenship, that I was ignorant of the responsibilities of my citizenship, that I was ignorant that as a citizen of the United States, that oath that the naturalized citizen has to speak was by definition my own attitude towards my country. So these people that want to make us not the United States of America anymore have very craftily created multiple generations of people that don't know who they are as it relates to being a citizen of the United States of America. Let me just tell you, are you saying amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's right. And, I, you know, sorry recording people that are hearing this later, but I just want to tell you, we went to Lansing, a group of us, remember? We went to Lansing, and we sat out on the grass in front of the Capitol building, I think is what that is, with a big dome thing, and, and, and our time was at like 10.30 or 11 o'clock, something like that. But somebody else had reserved the front lawn before us. I don't remember what their name was. Every one of them had a big old gun hanging over their shoulder and and a big old gun strapped to their leg. And they're all the people that because I haven't been educated or I've been indoctrinated by those enemies of our nation that are all crazy, wacko, you know, militia guys. And as I'm sitting there waiting for our turn and listening to them talk and watching how they behave themselves with their guns, I'm thinking to myself, if this country survives, it's going to be because of them. Because they're the ones that, that not only understand, <laughs> I almost, I, yeah, I almost said what you, I definitely know I can't say in church, but they got the, I don't know another word, they have the spine. They have, they have the spine to put themselves between us and the enemies within to our own country. Just like the church is the pillar and the support of truth in this world. Without the church, there is no truth in the world. Because only Jesus is truth. And it's, it's, it's enumerated in the scriptures. So as soon as, as the church stops being the church, because this isn't what they're surrendered to anymore, nobody supports the truth. In our country, the founders, the framers designed this nation such that the Constitution would be that. And if you can get people ignorant to the truth, ignorant to their rights, it's easy to take them away and make this into something you want. You can actually overthrow the country without ever shooting a bullet. If you've got a bunch of dumb, ignorant sheep, not dumb necessarily, but ignorant sheep, that don't know what you're doing to them. So I spoke on this a, minute, a bit, but let's just go because it's next in my notes. Let's talk a little bit about authority. The authority that governs the church is not people, but Scripture. The authority of the church comes from the Scripture. When the Scripture says, obey those who are over you, like, you know, in charge of you, so to speak, 
It's only, it's only those people that obey the truth that's above them, right? When, when, when the Bible says, wives, be subject to your husbands, a man reads that and thinks, wow, I'm king of my own little kingdom here. But you're only king. There you go. Right, yeah. All right. Some, some, somebody learned that, that that crown don't always fit so well. The point is, you're, you're only a subjected king to the ultimate king as long as you walk in the authority of that king. So, so when the husband says, wives be subject to husbands, as unto the Lord, God says, yeah, and you love your wives like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Because, you see, you may be the head of your wife, but you are not the head. Jesus is your head, and the Father is his head. And there's structure that governs and defines how things work. So the pastor is not the authority in the church. He's only delegating the authority of God to help the church to be the church so that there's not chaos, so that we can be the light of the world, so that the desires of our king actually get accomplished in this realm that we have some authority around, right? The authority in our country rests in the Constitution. All three branches derive their authority and their limits from the Constitution. And they're supposed to look after one another. If the president starts to try to get, like, you know, we might think in the state of Michigan, Governor Whitmer got a a little hat on her head that's bigger than the Constitution of the state of Michigan gives to her, then the Senate, the legislature, and the judiciary have to sort that out and, and get her back into the place where she belongs so that we can have order according to the definition of how things are supposed to be. They're limited and they're authorized by the Constitution, not by their office, by the Constitution. I'm not looking to open a can of worms. I've already kind of opened this can of worms. As a matter of fact, I just want to say something. Jeff and Nikki Fay aren't here anymore. Part of that might be because of conversations around this. I'm coming to honor Jeff and his perspective way more than I did at the beginning. Um, but I had to get there, right? Okay. Romans 13, 1 through 5. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. No authority except from God. What kind of authority do you think God gives? Does he give unrighteous authority? I don't think so. Not at all. And those who exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. So here's, here's the government telling people all these restrictions. Churches, you can't meet. First, you know, if you're less than 50, then if you're less than 10 or more than 50 or more than 10, you can't meet. And, and, and the church, for conscience sake, not the, we, I think the Constitution disagrees with this. 
right? But for conscience sake, we're like, okay. And then you get Jeff Faye's like, hey, wait a minute. Man, that don't apply to us. But I, I don't get it yet. And so we do Zoom and, and all the different things we did because of conscience. I, I wear a mask. I, I think it's stupid. My mask doesn't stop anything. I pick the thing that I could put over my face that does the least because I don't want to breathe my own stuff. I want to breathe regular air. I don't want to hurt anybody that's sick, right? But that ain't the hill I'm going to die on. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Somebody's got to do my grocery shopping for me. I wear a mask, mostly for conscience sake. We decided to start meeting again. We're church on the street. There's so many bigger fish that, that, you know, people that want to oppose this stuff are going to fry before we're somebody's problem. But if we are, we're going to do what God tells us to do. And if they make it so we can't, they burn our building down, they push it over with a bulldozer, they whatever, we'll just meet at each other's house. That's all. It doesn't matter. Yeah. They, they can't stop God because he's going to build his church. And the gates of hell, I'm not even saying Governor Whitmer is like one of the authorities of hell. But if she's influenced by the enemy, she's for abortion, full-term abortion, maybe even post-term abortion. Well, I guarantee you that's the enemy, right? So well, we're not going to be subject to unrighteous authority. We would never support that. And we'll go to jail. Well, some of you will. God bless you. Go to jail rather than, you know, not represent God in that area. So I've come... I mean, I don't know exactly, you know, how Jeff thinks, but I've come a lot closer to how I think he thinks as I've gained understanding and I've had experience that no longer is my conscience bothered in many ways because I don't believe there's much righteousness behind what's going on. And God imposes, installs righteous authority, not unrighteous authority. So if the Constitution is the righteous governing document of the United States and of the state of Michigan, and we have leaders who choose not to govern righteously. It's funny, I, I don't think about it, but when I pray for the governor, that's my first prayer, that she would govern righteously. And without selfish ambition, which is scriptural, right? So I'll quote that scripture again, and I'll just tell you that I think that my attitudes, I'm not sure I was wrong, because I have information now that I didn't have then. So my conscience, right? But, but I'm telling you what, they're going to try because they're anti-Christ. I'm not speaking anybody's particular name, but these movements are anti-Christ, and we're not. We are pro-Christ. We're only Christ. Chicken Little, right. The sky is falling. Yeah. Oh, the sky is falling. What should we do? So in, in the um, another word that the Lord gave me about when he was speaking to me this whole thing and I was typing was the word arrogance. And so I went to the dictionary, and two different places gave me these two different pictures of arrogance. The first one, an attitude of superiority manifested in an overbearing manner or in presumptuous claims or assumptions. I I don't watch the news, but I read the headlines. I see arrogance, right? Attitude of superiority manifested in overbearing manner. The second one was offensive display of superiority or self-importance, overbearing pride. So now I'm going to continue with what I typed weeks ago, whenever all this came to me. 
Arrogance defies the transcendent. It exalts itself above the agreed truth. Without a common transcendent truth and the defense of that truth, eventually all you can have is chaos. Without the willingness to defend the truth, the outcome will be the strong rule of the weak. Let me stop a second. I don't want to say the name because I might get the wrong person, but there's a Congress lady that said, if you, to, to the American people, if you see a person who's part of President Trump's administration in a restaurant, you get up in their face and you heckle them until they leave. You yell and scream and make such a scene that they may not go into a restaurant and have a meal in peace. You do that. that that's one of the elected leaders of our country. That's the whacked out attitude that they have about how you get things done in this country. Now, I don't know if you've seen the videos where these crowds come into the restaurant and they demand that people raise their fists and claim allegiance to a movement, an ungodly movement. And the people, they, you know, they just want to eat their dinner or whatever. They, they do. Yeah, and then there's one that doesn't. They're not yelling and screaming back, but they're not putting their hand up because they may not agree with that or even know what it stands for. So they huddle around that. And there's a woman and her friend. And there's young men and young women cursing them, screaming at them, waving to them. And the friend's like, but the one lady won't do it. And they pester her and pester her and they pester her. See, that's the result of un- godly, screwed up in the brain people telling people what's how you can react. Why? Because they got an attitude. There is nothing that transcends. There's no, there's no honor. There's no respect. There's no conversation. If you won't just submit, then we'll make you so miserable that you will. And one lady did, and the other one just stood there and took it. I think if there was a real man in that place... They'd have gotten the, he'd have gotten the crap kicked out of him because he probably couldn't have taken all those people at once. But at least he'd have stood up and been a man and said, you will not talk to this lady this way. Not while I'm in this restaurant. Without the willingness to defend the truth, the outcome will be the strong rule of the weak. Now, none of them, sorry, none of those people, they're made in the image of God. None of those people is necessarily strong enough to overcome anybody. But when they mob together, their strength is, is multiplied, right? So the outcome of all this crazy stuff is that the strong will rule the weak unless somebody stands up. Uh, Portland recently is an example. The rioters came and fought the agreed truth, the truth being laws, mechanisms for protest. The mayor, thinking he was one with the rioters, allowed the chaos to carry on, but ultimately came to learn that they equally had no more respect for him and his office than for the laws of the city, the state, or the nation. So now you've got double chaos, double arrogance. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm with the cause, I'm with the cause. Police have to stay home. You guys can do whatever you want. We're together. Yeah. And, and, and they could care less about him either. So all of a sudden, the chaos that he was willing to support because he had an agreement with the chaos makers was being turned on himself because they have no conscience. They're not governed by anything but the raw animal emotions. All this is the fruit of the notion of relative truth. Truth is not relative, but true. 
Your truth is that stealing, looting, and destroying the property and possessions of others is wrong. Good for you. My truth says it's okay. I say a person's gender is defined by their biology. You say gender is a truth of the individual mind and flexible to mood and emotion. How does a society function when it won't agree on things as basic as gender? How, how do you ever have a community when nobody agrees on anything? Another emerging example, forgive me, is pedophilia. This is just what was coming out of my fingers. The transcendent truth of the rightness or wrongness of pedophilia has been from the perspective of the child. Is pedophilia right or wrong? Well, let's take a look at how it affects a child. That shall be our perspective. Because this behavior is detrimental to the well-being of the child, it was deemed to be wrong. But because people believe truth is flexible or relative, we're being told to consider truth from the perspective of the pedophile. From that perspective, the behavior is not abhorrent or wrong, such that society must protect the children, that pedophilia is another sexual preference and must be respected and allowed as such. Where does this end? How about bestiality and rape? If I have urges for sex and you don't satisfy them for me, is it not my right to take what you won't give me? What if that's, per- what if that's a person's truth? What if that's just what they believe? They say it's true. Truth is relative. Why can't I have my truth? You have something I want. You should give it to me. If you don't give it to me, I'll take it. Because there's nothing that governs me but me. Can we see, can we see this in the looting and stealing? How about the righteous redistribution of wealth? What if my truth is that your wealth is ill-gotten and it rightfully belongs to me? Is that truth less relevant than yours? If anything can be true, nothing is true. Truth disappears. When truth disappears, guess who enters the room? Chaos. There's no order for life anymore. So we have to be so careful. When somebody says, like, I had a conversation with somebody. I might have mentioned this last week about this whole movement thing. But, okay, so I, I, I can see, you know, what's wrong with the movement. But can't I just be behind the movement without agreeing with those things? It's like, well, then what is it that you're behind? But it's like homosexuals have been persecuted. I said, ah, okay, wait, I can get with you on that one. If somebody wants to be a homosexual, that's up to them. I mean, I, I think it's wrong. I think I would think it was wrong anyway. But God says it's wrong, so I say it's wrong. Because I have something that transcends my attitude, the word of God, right? But I think it's wrong if somebody's going to beat somebody up or kill them because they're a homosexual. And I'll stand with you arm in arm on that one. So let's get behind that movement, that that's wrong. We've got to be careful that, that we don't somehow let our emotions for one thing cause us to support something that God says is evil. Here's a real-life example. This has been going on long enough that we're almost, we're not, thank God. Some of us less than others, like more sensitive than others, going on for years. Our Constitution, through the, through the Declaration of Independence, declares certain unalienable rights endowed by our Creator. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There's life and there's death and there's right and there's wrong. American citizens have the right to life, 
to not be killed. But some people want their own pursuit of happiness to supersede the right of another person to live. I'm talking about abortion. I'm talking about the taking of an innocent life. Now, if you talk to a very pro-choice person, just, you know, you know, Heather probably bangs into them all the time. They will tell you that they'll, they'll raise objections to your pro-life position. They'll say, well, what about in the case of rape or incest? I say, what about in the case of rape or incest? I say life is an inalienable right. And, and if a woman is raped, it sucks. And if she's got to carry a child that reminds her of that experience, then she needs the love and the ministry of the church, quite frankly, of Jesus Christ, of the God of all comfort who will comfort her as she recognizes that it's her cross to bear with this little child. Now, maybe she won't want to keep that child. The church better be ready to take that child when that time comes, right? But her personal happiness does not supersede the right to life of that child. So you can make that argument all day long with me. It, it holds no water. Well, what about the life of the mother? What if, what if a doctor legitimately says, if you continue to be pregnant, you're going to die? To me, I say, well, there's a hard decision to make. If my death as a mother is going to take both lives, then I, can, I could make a case, right? I think most mothers in their right mind, if they could carry that baby to term and only one or the other was going to die, would choose to die themselves rather than let that little baby die, right? But, but someone could make an argument with me that you've got to balance out which life is more important. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't have that. So maybe that's a good one. You know, maybe that's one you could argue. But everything else beyond that, it's convenience. I want to have physical pleasure, but I don't want to have any responsibility that comes with it. And... I feel so strongly about my personal pleasures and my happiness that if my personal pleasures turn out to be a human being person, I should have the right, because it's not really a person, it's an appendage, right? It's my body to just pitch it if I don't want it. No. No. So here's what that demonic thought process, how it evolves. Abortion was wrong because it denied life and personhood. So they redefine life. When is a person a person? I say when there's conception. When an egg and a sperm get together, everything necessary for life is present right there, right now. That's a person. But they say, they say no, it's not. It's not a person until. So, so society acquiesces and they say, okay, you can be pregnant for so many weeks but not after that. But that's not good enough. Next, because of me being God, because me being the center of everything that matters, we define personhood by address. So if your address is inside, you're not a person. But once your address is outside, you're a person. So we want to be able to abort the life of a person, a baby, because we don't see it as a person now, otherwise we wouldn't be able to do this, right up to the moment of birth, full-term abortion, right? So we have to change how we see things. So, so that's not a person until they're born. But what if I change my mind? What if in that moment the baby comes out, but I'm not sure I still want it? Is it a person? 
with inalienable rights? Created equal? Or is it not? Well, let's just put on this table over here for a minute and the doctor and the, you know, the psychologist, and we'll all have a little counseling session, and we'll help you as you decide whether you really want. And, and then until you decide you really want it, it's still not a person. So now it's okay at any point during pregnancy to take the life isn't important anymore. What's important is my pursuit of happiness, right? Because we talked about the only things that anybody would ever argue about, and only one of them made any sense at all. You can just do what you want. Why? Because nobody's going to infringe on me being God of everything. Can you see how that works? Can you see why when we get in the church and we say no, because the scriptures say so, but you don't understand. It's like no, because a little leaven leavens a lump. Once you agree with a little leaven, forget it. You're sliding down the slippery, <laughs> You're sliding down the slippery slope. The first one's the hard one. Agreeing to abortion at all was the hard one. Slipping it back a few weeks was easier. Slipping it back till full term was easier. Slipping it back, put them on the table until you know what you want, was easier because we're all conditioned that it's okay. It's not. What transcends is truth. Truth is not relative. It's not subjective. It's not anything but what it is. God defines truth. As far as being an American citizen, the Constitution defines truth. Okay, so does progressive thinking lead to arrogance or does arrogance lead to progressive thinking? I don't know. But I know when you end up with progressive thinking, when you're the teenager, forgive me teenagers, that decides that you get to have an opinion that's different than the transcendent opinion in your world as your parents. Can you see it, Caleb? Seriously, like when you wanted to fight against your mom or your dad because they told you whatever, and now you're a little older and you have, you know, the drill sergeant... <laughs> Your maturity is showing you, isn't it, that there's good reasons that you couldn't understand when you're a kid and you rebel against that thing and you need something to constrain you until you have the maturity to be able to make good decisions on your own. You have to decide that you're not God. Either way, progressive thinking leads to arrogance. Arrogance leads to progressive thinking. Either way, they lead to denial of our transcendent values because we become arrogant, both in the church and in the nation. I, I think I nearly closed with this scripture last week. Let me just use it again this week. Second Peter chapter two, seventeen through nineteen. These are springs. He's, he's speaking specifically to false prophets, but anybody who wants to have an attitude that disagrees with the transcendent values that give us order and protect us from chaos. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words, arrogant words of vanity. They entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves to corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. The minute we start to take an attitude that's greater than the transcendent truth of God or in our country of the Constitution, when we say, listen, um, we got President Trump in office, so when he gets the opportunity, he can appoint a Supreme Court justice that agrees with me. And we think that's good. No, that's wrong. Because that Supreme Court justice only, we don't have an opinion, right? We agree with God. 
that Supreme Court justice agrees with the Constitution. If he's interpreting the Constitution as case by case by case comes before them for judgment, if he's interpreting it by his own political or personal ideologies, then he's not worthy of his job anymore. If a mayor has an ideology that agrees with, I almost said idiots, that wouldn't be nice. But if, if, if a mayor has an ideology that agrees with a bunch of people that want to riot and tear up his city, and he tells the police you can't go stop them, he's not worthy of his office. He needs to go to jail. Because his first job is to protect the people, not to, not to drive an ideology. They speak out arrogant words. They entice and they corrupt. They appeal to fleshly desires. That's true for progressive church leaders. It's true also for politicians without conscience. The scripture says this. Now I'm back to the church. The scripture says this in many places for different situations. I picked this one. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us, which they received from God, which we have in the Scriptures. Stay away from them. Don't let that leaven leaven your lump. Don't give in to the emotions of why that might make sense. Because all it's going to do is lead you to a point of denying what's true and a place of chaos where the church isn't the church anymore. So I get through all that, and I'm thinking to myself, so what's your point? (laughs) Hopefully I've made a point, but let me try to just say what that is. The first thing we need to do is expose and confront the arrogance, both in culture and the church. I'm absolutely clear on how to do that within the church. I did it within my own home in the last week or so. Someday I might share this testimony, but me and Trees had a thing. We never have a punch-out thing. We never have a screaming, cursing, calling each other names thing. But see, I'm blind where I have fortresses and strongholds. I'm absolutely blind. If anybody's going to see mine, it's going to be Teresa. Right? She'll know. I hope I'm humble enough when she confronts me with them that I'll listen and repent. God says, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword but the enemies of a man will be the members of his own household. And my wife and I had a thing. And she really, really wanted me, needed me to agree with her because she was in emotional turmoil. She was hurting really badly. I wouldn't do it. That made her mad. She'd tell you. She told me. It made her mad. Usually I think it just hurts her, but it made, it made her mad. It didn't just hurt her. And, and finally... She had a chance to be out of the situation. She had a chance to collect her thoughts with the Lord. And she came to love her husband even more. Because she doesn't want somebody, if she's smart, that's just going to agree with her no matter what kind of direction she goes off in emotionally. She wants somebody who's going to hold fast to what transcends our lives for good. Even if it means that the sword comes down between us. That if I will hold fast to the truth, and I'm not trying to stroke myself, I'm just telling you this one was one that she saw it too, but, but she couldn't see it in the moment. That's what 
you have to do because your head is God if you're a husband. That's what we have to do because our, God, our head is God in the culture. We have to study to be approved so that we can actually be godly people in this world. If we don't, then, then we might be a light, but it's not God's light of the world. We have no preserving qualities like the salt of the earth if we go about being our own little potentate. I don't even know what a potentate is. I hope that was a good word to use. Okay. So I'm clear within the church and I'm clear within my home. No question. The only issue is my knowledge of the scriptures, my understanding of God's heart and his will. And and I read it every single day so that I won't screw up. I'm not so clear within the society what I'm supposed to do. If I'm supposed to buy an M16, strap it to my shoulder, and go sit in a yard in the state capitol, or if I'm supposed to get on Facebook and, you know, I'm not saying any of that stuff's wrong. i just saying I don't know. But here's what I do know. Hi there. You come for second service? Sure. Okay. Yeah, it'll be me and you. <laughs> here's what I do know. I know there's two primary parties vying for places of authority in our country given to them by the Constitution. I know that every person that's aligned with a party is still a person. And and, and they can be, you know, as soon as they become a politician, it's almost like, I don't know what, their, their brain goes a little sour. Maybe, not all of them, I shouldn't say that. But I don't have to look hard at the platform of these two parties to know which one is more representative of the values that I'm commanded to be of. One says no to abortion. The other one says kill them after they come out. So I will fight against that party at the very least with my vote. That's the very least. And it's not nothing. It's a big something, right? And if the church would vote its conscience, if the church would just go and say, okay, I'm going to take time. I don't know if you watched the the political, um, the big deal, conventions, thank you, the the conventions, to try to understand what do they espouse? Are they consistent with that which transcends us as a nation and that which transcends us us as people of God? Or aren't they? And probably neither is going to be perfect. But people say, well, you, you just vote one topic. I'm like, I can't not vote that topic. To, take, to say it's okay to take a life for purposes that aren't okay puts them off my list right now. So I, I don't know how to tell you to exercise. I, I love that, you're, that you, you sit in front of the door and you're willing to go and eat you know funky cheese sandwiches in the county jail. And Sherry got up, but I praise God for Sherry that her conscience is moving her. And Gail, I praise God for you, that your conscience is moving you. These are not easy things to do. It's it's easy to stand here up here and preach. It's a whole other thing to go sit in front of the door of the murder clinic and be willing to have your liberties taken away because you're trying to save little children who has nobody but you to look out for them. I praise God for that. So at the end of this long thing is why I had this trepidation this morning is I'm not sure I know what to tell you about how to fight the cultural war. I guess there's two things I know. You can fight it with your vote, and you can fight it with your prayers. And and if we can pray that a little baby gets born from a dry womb, 
then we can pray that God can influence righteousness in this country and trust that he'll hear that prayer. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for truth. Thank you that your ways transcend everything. Forgive me, I'm not praying right now, but I had a hard time. Like, what if... What if I'm an American citizen and my constitution, which is the transcendent thing above the nation, disagrees with God? Where do I stand with that? Well, I know I have to stand with God, not with the constitution, right? How do I exercise that? I just don't know. I mean, there's hard things that we're having to deal with right now. Kenner? Please. Just remember, I'm halfway in a prayer. Listening to what you're saying is true. Um, here's how I divided up myself. This is what I've learned. 44 years with Jesus in the last probably seven or eight years, um, maybe a little longer, he's really sorted it out for me. Now, what I'm going to say might be really strange to you, and it might be something that you've never heard, and you might be questioning what in the world I'm talking about. I'm just I'm going to preface with that, okay? Maybe some of you do understand what I'm about to say. There are only two types of people on the face of the earth. There's that phone. No, there's people who are in Christ, who are children of God, and there are people who are not in Christ, who are children of the enemy. Jesus said, you are of your father. The devil. The devil. Okay. Two kinds of people. The Constitution... And remember, we're the only country that I know of with a constitution like that. Others have a monarchy, and they have, they've, they've been trying to emulate us in some ways, but they have kings, and they, have, they don't have the same kind of a constitution that we have, the kind of a setup we have. So when Paul was speaking, that this was not available when he was saying, obey all the, the authorities. So we must, must apply what we understand from the scriptures to our situation. I live here in the United States. If I was in Pakistan or someplace else, I'd have to live under their rules. However, the rules that we live under as the body of Christ, children of God, are higher than the Constitution. The Constitution is designed for flesh, for that other group of people who are not in Christ. Amen, that's good. That's who the Constitution is for. It's to keep some kind of order in the country. Now, we are in a completely different kingdom. I told you before that according to Numbers 23.9, when God numbers the people of the earth, you are not included. Because you are not citizens of earth, even though you may carry a passport for the United States. But you are not citizens of earth. You are citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God. So when I see what's going on and I see what to obey and not to obey, first of all, most of what's happening right now is in our country that we see with our eyes, see on the news, which, again, I don't watch much of it either, um, is not of the kingdom. So I can't follow any of it. None of it's righteous. None of it expresses Jesus or his purpose. Even the best of people 
Can a man who is not in Christ actually work righteousness? No. If the law, do and don't, is righteousness, then yes, he can. But Paul makes it plain that righteousness is not of the law, it's of faith. It's of the living Christ who we received and now lives in us, and we express him through us. That's righteousness. The law is not righteousness. I'll give you a little example. Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, our King, our Lord, he walked through the fields on the Sabbath day and plucked ears of corn and ate them with his disciples. Number one, you're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath day. That's a breaking of the law right there. Number two, it wasn't his corn. He wasn't gleaning the fields. He was going to fresh corn. How could he do that? He didn't hurt anybody. His righteousness is above the rules. His righteousness is above the law. Is the law good? Yes, it controls my flesh. So what we're seeing is the flesh in operation. And the flesh has been judged. If you live in the flesh, you shall die. But if by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. So it's a higher call. We are the body of Christ. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're those that have received the Spirit of God. And we walk in that Spirit. How? By faith. Pat sat up here today and he spoke without all of his notes and his, because he did it by faith, by, what did you call it? It was a wonderful word. So it's by faith, daily, moment by moment. And that's where righteousness is. If it's not of faith, it's sin. Did you say that's in the Bible? Did you ever read that? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. That's what it says. Of faith. And faith is alive in us. It's not there. It's here. It's not there. It's there. It's there. It's there. We walk in that faith that's in us. We received the faith when we were born again. Well, you received everything that God has when you were born again. It's a matter of laying aside that which is not God in our flesh so that that which is God can live through us. And we're all on that journey. Right? I hope. So, that's how I divide it up. That I'm not of this world. I have to live in this world, and I have to occupy, and so my flesh does do warfare. Now, here's one for you. Our God is a man of war. It's written, by the way. He's a man of war. Go look that one. I was thinking through. I wrote a little article on that one. But uh, anyway, the point is, is that 
Our, our greatest warfare is in the spirit. Paul tells us that we have weapons of war. And those, and, <laughs> I don't want to go any further. Anyway, that's what I want to share about that. <laughs> I keep it here till five. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Father God, I say thank you again. I say thank you for your truth. I say thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for life. Thank you for every good and perfect thing. I thank you, Lord. We all thank you, God. We ask you to continue to help us, Lord. Help us to help one another. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit so that we would only operate according to the truth. Help us, Lord, to be zealous for you, not impassionate or apathetic, Lord, but that we would understand and that we would be people whose yes is yes, and we said yes to you, and that we would be yes to you. We pray for our country, Lord. We pray that we would truly be one nation under God, under God, not any God, not a, not false gods, not gods of wood and stone, not mute idols, but the one and only true living God who is the creator of nature, that we would serve the creator and not the creature. Lord, we ask that you would come against evil in our nation, evil in our own hearts, Lord, but evil in this nation, evil within the church that would try to get us to deny that which is true, that we might truly be the God-shining light of the world, city on a hill, and the preserving salt that can keep this world alive as you try to reach each and every one of them with your gospel truth. We make all our prayers, give all our thanks, sing all our praises. In Jesus' name.